Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. This is the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. My name is Amy G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is Tuesday, February 25th, 2020, and today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are on page 92 in the first paragraph that starts with, if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic. Today's readers are, and thank you everyone for your service, Arini M., Renee A., Nancy P., Lou B., Phyllis D., and our newcomer greeter, Jody E., and host, Leslie M., for the second hour. Thank you everyone for your service. The reference numbers for yesterday, Monday, February 24th, 2020, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 1,000. I'm sorry, 14,162, that's 14162, and for the 10 a.m. meeting yesterday, 14,163, that's 14163, OAA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through the through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Lou B. to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Lou. Good morning. This is Lou B. from Texas. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Luby. 
I will now ask for Phyllis D. to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Phyllis. Good morning. Thank you. This is Phyllis D., Recovered Compulsive Eater in Illinois, and these are the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA group name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service and have a great morning. Thank you so much, Philistine. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you'll hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's if phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book and we are on page 92, that first paragraph. And I'm going to ask Irene to get us started. Go ahead, Irene. Thank you, Amy, for your service. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irene and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 
always giving credit where credit is due. If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental conditions surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he is not too alcoholic. But insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Wow. So what is the hopeless feature of the malady? As I'm talking to one that could be like me, a compulsive overeater, I keep my eyes on myself, and my goal is to connect with them by seeing if they identify with my story. When I start eating, why is it that I cannot stop eating? And then when I stop eating, why is it that I cannot stay stopped? Well, on top of the page uh, 24, sorry, stresses that the truth about myself. The fact is most alcoholics lost the power of choice in drink. So I lost the power of choice in what I eat, when I eat, and how I eat. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. Well, my willpower that works in other areas of my life does not work with food. The only thing that I can remember is that when I pick up, it gives me that certain effect of ease and comfort. And that I cannot remember how much pain I was in, how burnt I got, how sick I got, how remorseful I felt, how much I harmed myself from binging. Once I eat certain foods, I can't stop eating them because I'm tr- I triggered the allergy of the body, wanting more of the same thing and never being satisfied. And that repeated motion from the food to the mouth back to the food, as if my hand had its own brain. Then, when I was able to have some relief from binging, suddenly, out of nowhere, that thought came to me once again. It's okay to pick up. The cycle once again starts. And this is the greater aspect of the disease, the obsession of the mind. Pick up, pick up. This is the queer mental condition that controls me and gives me permission to pick up. This is the hopeless feature of the malady. This monster inside of me that kept me in bondage of self convinced me, yes, I am powerless. I can't control the food. Instead, it seemed as if the food was controlling me. I'm a compulsive overeater. I had no choice but to ask for help. And if anyone on this line relates to my story, then you probably are a compulsive overeater like myself. On the bottom of page 31, we do not pronounce any individual as alcoholic. Try drinking and stop abruptly. It's not my job to determine who is or who isn't a compulsive overeater. My part is to give an opportunity to see if they can identify with my story. My responsibility and honor is to carry the message of hope by sharing my experience, strength, and hope. 
by being helpful and useful to those who are still suffering, that we see hope that seemed only hopeless, that there is a fellowship for guidance and support and a solution, a way out of the bondage of self with the 12 steps, that there is light to be found in their darkness. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you so much, Irini, for getting us started. Who else would like to share? Nancy P. Red, and Harlan we'd G. certainly like to hear some people we haven't heard in a while. Nancy P. Harlan, I got you. This is Larry. Larry K. Okay. Teresa P. Teresa P. Anybody else? Okay. Well, we're going to dive right in with a great group here. Nancy T, or I think it was Nancy T, Harlan G, Larry K, Teresa P. Go ahead, Nancy. You're up. Nancy, press star one. This is Nancy T. It wasn't me. I didn't. Sorry. I'm back. out there. Okay. No, it's sorry, Nancy P. Sorry. All right. Nancy, go ahead. Sorry, it's hard okay, to tell sorry if about that. Yeah. No, no, no I problem. You. I know. Um, yeah, so Nancy P. from Westminster, Massachusetts, thanks for letting me share. Wow, the, um, if I'm convinced he's a real alcoholic, um, I, don't, I don't care if people are real alcoholics. I don't care. If they're interested in what I have to say, then I will try to help them. And it's not my business to decide. They have to decide if they're real alcoholics. And, you know, I try to, you know, what can, all I can do is share up to the level of my own experience. But the most profound thing, I had a phone call yesterday with a fellow that called me to ask me what my, identif- what my um, impression was of absolute abstinence. And, and at first I thought, you know, everybody knows what that means. But my personal experience was that I couldn't even conceive of that until I surrendered. And my surrender was, came out of, you know, the constant state of mind of hopelessness and despair and remorse. Like that's what I lived in all the time. I was always feeling hopeless, despairing, and, and somehow guilty, remorseful that I, that I was this way. And um, yet when I surrendered, I got better and I got better fast. And um, it was like a miracle cure. And so when I tell people that, when I share about that in, um, in my face-to-face meetings or if, if somebody calls me and they're feeling hopelessness, remorse, and despair, I can tell them that, um, that I got better fast, but that the, the one requisite was um, that I had to surrender. And that was really the only hard thing that I've ever done in pursuit of recovery was... Um, to surrender and but once I did that um, the, the other things it wasn't that they were difficult or, or that they were easy they just were done as a matter of course you know like my Saturday chores I pick up the groceries I go to the dry cleaner and I you know and I return the library books or whatever I do so for me as usual you know I'll give you nine million guesses what worked and for me it was surrender but it worked really well and it worked really completely, really thoroughly. And um, so I've never had to look back because I've never, I've never had to um, pick up the food since I did that. And with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you so much, Nancy. Harlan G., you're up. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, and thank you to Team Tuesday for making this meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. On page 7 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in the meeting between Bill Wilson and Dr. Silkworth at the town's hospital, it says here, it relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics the will is amazingly weakened. It doesn't say somewhat weakened or weakened. He uses the adjective amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. And as I go to page 92, and it says here, if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic. Now, this is a self-diagnosing disease. I am not here to diagnose you. However... If I'm not convinced that you are an, a compulsive overeater, I'm not so anxious to spend my time with you in terms of sponsorship. And there are people that do come in that are not, and there are people that come in that are, are that are, 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 no, <laughs> that are. But the bottom line is, is that there has to be some identification with the rest of the paragraph if you are one. It says, show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. And I loved what was shared at the very beginning by our friend who was the first reader when she said, it's almost as if my hand had a brain of its own. That is a beautiful, beautiful way of describing it. And it says here, and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. I'm not going to say you are or you are not. You're going to tell me. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that he possibly can if he's not too alcoholic, like if he's not too pregnant but insisted if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. If you are a compulsive overeater, you're not going to be able to recover by yourself. It's not going to happen. The last line of the chapter, more about alcoholism, it says, in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. And this is the last sentence of the chapter, more about alcoholism. His defense must come from a higher power. And the only way I know to access that higher power is through the working of the steps. There is no other way for me to do this. But what this paragraph is really talking about is, does this person speak and understand the language of the heart? Does this person speak and understand that language that we speak so fluently, but others just babble around in? We understand what it's like to have this illness. Others don't. And with that, I will pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Harlan. Larry Kay, you're up. Please go ahead. Okay, Amy, thanks so much. Uh, Larry Kay uh, from Chicago recovered this morning. You know, this, it's really a counterintuitive thing. It's, you know, they're reminding us um, in this paragraph to dwell on the hopeless uh, feature of the malady. And, you know, in society, we, you know, we're, we're all about the hope. There's got to be hope. And here it's telling us just the, the opposite, to, to dwell on the hopeless, sounds so negative. 
And why, why is that? Why are, we, why are we dwelling on the hopeless feature of the, of the malady? It, again, as it's been said, if, if that person is a true alcoholic, because as long as we believe that we can kind of find, you know, finagle our way out of this dilemma, my, my experience, my observation, and my personal experience is we will never work this practical program of spiritual action. Now, we'll, we may hang out. We, may, we certainly may hang out, and we may try to, you know, get a little, little juice, if you will, from someone else. We may wait for the pixie dust. But, but we're going to focus. The individuals, of, it seems, of every age, they, they need to believe that they can author the story of their life. And it's disconcerting if we if we don't think we can. And when that need to author the story of our life, when it's thwarted, when it's blocked, you know, when a person feels incapable of navigating towards a desired goal of their own willpower, a feeling of power, powerlessness kind of sets in. And that's precisely where the person needs to be. So we know that. If we have an alcoholic mind, if I have this alcoholic mind, willpower, self-knowledge, they're not going to help in those strange mental blank spots. These steps, somehow, I don't know, mysteriously, they are going to bring me to a place of having a complete inward spiritual restructuring. And a person with this alcoholic mind, a compulsive reader of this type, will have no effective mental defense against taking that first bite. Neither he, it tells us in the book, nor any other human being not your sponsor, not the, you know, the celebrity over there, not that guy. Nope, nope, he can't do it. If Bill Wilson came out of his grave and sat down with you at your kitchen table, nope, he couldn't do it either. See, the defense must come from a higher power. We're going to learn later about burning the idea into the consciousness of every man, that they, every man and woman on the sun. They can get well, though. There, there's the hope. They can get well, regardless of any person. The only condition is that they trust in God and clean house. How are you going to trust? You trust in the process of these steps. You, you, you lay aside prejudice. You lay aside skepticism as best you can. You detach from the outcome and you just do the work. That's going to be the hope. That, that's how we're going to cross the bridge to freedom. How free do I want to be? I'm going to work these steps and I'm going to find out. With that, I pass. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, Larry. Teresa P., you're up. Please go ahead. Teresa, are you there? Yes, I was unmuting. Uh, thank you. Uh, hi, I'm Teresa. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And uh, I am so glad that, you know, we're talking about uh, this, um, you know, introducing it to um, a prospective person. And what I get to do is remember how I felt. And you know what I needed to do, and um, and share that because I need I needed to be I needed to identify, and I heard when I walked into my first meeting I heard a story about this lady she was talking and she dropped this cupcake on the floor she just picked it up brushed it off and ate it I go all right I identify with that. So what I do, uh, I'm working on doing, I didn't do this before, I just wanted to, you know, give them the message, hey, here, this works, you know, it's worked for me, here, just do this. And that doesn't work because I I couldn't hear it when I was, um, when I was sick. But I could hear, I I just couldn't hear it. 
So I try to share how a story from myself about, you know, what I did. Um, and then my, my big one is just how I was just drawn to the refrigerator like a magnet, knowing that my mom didn't want me to, to touch that cake, but I, I couldn't help myself. I just did it. And, and I went through my life, you know, continually having these problems, not understanding what was going on. And I was so grateful when I got to my first um, meeting when they told me that I had a disease. And it's just like, oh, I felt such a relief from the shame. Like, oh, I'm not a bad person. I'm a, you know, I have a disease. But then I needed to learn more, which I learned really well in uh, vision, is that, you know, allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. And so, you know, I get to say a little about that. You know, here I have a disease that it has these symptoms. It has allergy of the body. You know, I have certain foods, and I can't put them down no matter how much I want to. And that obsession, that will always drive me back when I stop it on diet after diet after diet. I go, how can I go back? And I do. And then share that, you know, that here we have a solution. And, you know, the person makes their own choice. I get to remember that. Each person gets to decide. And, some, you know, sometimes I'm working with a sponsor, and, you know, and I see they're, like, way overweight, and, you know, they can't stop eating this, this, and this. They still don't think they got a problem with it. I say, okay, you know, it's a, it's a self. I like that. It's a self-diagnosing problem, and I need to recognize that. I need to honor their path, whatever it is. So, you know, I am just, you know, the, the bringer of the message, and you know, God is the teacher. And I'm just the hand, and so, and it's all about honoring the other person and honoring myself. You know, I can't force this down somebody's throat. Disease drives that flooding. And right. what I just do, thank you, is just offer what I have and what has been given to, generously given to me. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you so much. Who else would like to share on what was read? We're on page 92, first paragraph. Love to hear from people we haven't heard from in a while. Charles H. Linda. Charles H. Linda <laughs> okay. D. I I think it was Linda. Melissa C. Raquel. Melissa C. Raquel. Okay. Anybody else? Leah M. Leah. All right. Another great group. Charles H., Linda D., Melissa C., Raquel H., I think, Leah M. Go ahead, Charles. You're up. Thank you, Amy, for your service. Um, you know, I always ponder um, why why isn't a lot of minorities and overeaters anonymous? Why isn't my friend that's closest to me in overeaters anonymous? I came up with three things: one, they don't they don't want to be; two, overzealousness; and three, the sales pitch. I was coming with. Um, they got to diagnose themselves. We hear that. I had to diagnose myself. I could tell you from a minority standpoint that we feel that everything was taken away from us. Now you want to take my food away. Now you want me to eat celery and carrots. Um, it's just been my experience because I don't know about them, but I know me was so oversensitive. 
you know, I could relate this to a second edition. I think somebody said it, said it, but they didn't touch the paragraph that I wanted to touch, where it says, uh, Bill tried to get people, um, he, he gave them the spiritual side of, uh, of uh, alcoholism. He didn't give them the grave nature. And Dr. Silkworth said, Bill, you bugging. He didn't say it like that, but pretty much he said, yo, you wilding, man. You jacking these people and giving them this spiritual malarkey. They don't know the grave nature, you know. Maybe you wasn't listening to them. Maybe you was talking too much, you know. And I think earlier in the text it says we need to listen. And when you listen, you learn. You know, you learn what they want. You know, I got people, my friends, right, that, that went away, put on 200 pounds, and they get mad because I'm not by the phone waiting for their call. You know, I'm, I'm doing what the big books say. Leave them alone because overzealousness is killing the compulsive overeater. They need to get to the bottom. And sometimes the bottom, sorry to say, maybe six feet under. And then that's all I got today. Thank you. Hey, Charles, thank you. Linda D., you're up, please. Go ahead. Linda? Press star one. Hi, everybody. It's Linda D. from Connecticut. I really love what I'm hearing. I think the hardest, oh, I'm a recovered, so grateful to be a recovered compulsive overeater. I I have the unique uh, privilege of being around a lot of addicts. My car doesn't work right now. I'm on a bus in a pretty good-sized city. I've been working a job that I'm surrounded by active addicts. And one thing I've learned pretty well, because I've been in OA a really long time, is let. The word let it, let them figure it out. As a as an addict, um, I'm in a panic about life as an active addict. I'm I'm in a panic. And it's glossed over by a substance or an activity. So when I'm talking to other people that are around me in my life, a lot of them are active one way or the other, whether it's narcotics, whatever it is. And um, wow, I want to jump in there and rescue them. That's another part of addiction. That's Al-Anon stuff. I have to shut up and let my um example work and god will use me in whatever way god uses me as an example or to speak about something in a very direct way as uh, as has been explained you know this is life and death whatever it is i have to let them come out from behind the bushes. They're scared to death, whether they're arrogant or not, they're scared to death. As has been pointed out, it may be because I'm white and they're of a color, or I'm a female, they're a male, or I'm straight and they're some version of gay. Whatever it is, leave them. Respect them. Let them talk. Just let them be, and they will show what they need and I have to listen very carefully to know what to say and what not to say. 
I have to be an example of love. And that's what love is. To me. I pass. Thank you so much, Linda. Melissa C., it's your turn. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, Amy. Thank you so much for your service this morning. I'm Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm in New York. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, like, this this is so effective um, for me. This works so well for me. And this is genius because um, if ever I can forget for a second just how weak I am, you know, when I'm doing this work, that is all that I keep honing in on. You know, I'm not I'm not qualified to diagnose anybody, even though I like to sometimes think I am. You know, I look at someone and I think, oh, yeah, they have this, or no way, there's no way they have this. And, you know, I don't have that qualification, but I'm certainly qualified to diagnose myself. And so I'm constantly having to say um, I have no willpower. I'm sick. You know, I'm a sick person, and and um, no matter how long I am separated from the food, and thank God, you know, it's been over six years of separation from the food, um, and no matter how different my body looks today, um, I, I am the same sick woman, you know, that I was here six-plus years ago, you know, over 300 pounds, and, um, and so I have conversations with people all the time, um, and they tend to be real food-based conversations, people just, um, and especially if someone still thinks that they have power, choice, and control, they're, they're really paying close attention to what I'm eating. That's what I found, and so I hear things like, well, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not eating blank anymore either. You know, and if I can put blank down, um, as if that's the solution. And what I have to say, no matter whether they look like they have what I have or not, what I am always saying is, yeah, I knew that too, and yet I couldn't do it. Yet I had no ability to live within the parameters of the knowledge, right? I knew what was bad for me. I've known it since I was little, what lit me up, and yet I could not respect that because I'm really sick. And I say it over and over, whether the person looks like they have what I have or not, it's not my it's not my job to diagnose anyone, but for me, it keeps this sick person real humble. And um, thanks for that all pass. Thank you so much, Melissa C. Raquel, please go ahead. Raquel, Hi, Amy. There you are. Yes. Yes, hello, and hi to all my dear friends. And how am I going to speak before Leah? Can we change the order a little bit? I I get so much out of every one of you, and then I go back and listen. I think eventually I'm going to probably write, um, oh, if God, did God help, the best of, the best of Bill, okay? So the best of the Amy, the best of Leah, the best of Leah. The books here, this whole session, all these sessions are books. Well, uh, well, um, yeah, God sent me somebody now that I'm working with who really wants it, and the difference is so unbelievable, so unbelievable. 
and I'm grateful and I'm grateful to the program. But here, I I I want to go back to to um, uh, the the language of the heart. Um, Bill writes in 1958 to a friend about his depression, the next frontier, emotional sobriety. Of course, I have a date on Sunday to go for a month and a half into this assisted living place and give up my lovely place and so on. And I need to do it, and I know. But I, I, I talk with Bill these days when he says in 1958, 24 years after he's put this unbelievable empire together, instead of a money empire, a spirit empire, and he says, Last autumn, depression, having no real rational cause at all, almost took me to the cleaners. I began to be scared that I was in for another, well, you know, I have 11 years. It can be taken away today. If I don't have you guys and my books, you know, I'm moving into, I, I, I laugh at this, this, this uh, better name in it in English than in the Hebrew one, assisted living. And then one floor above that, it's closer to the sky, it's assisted dying. So that you just can do it all at the same place. Uh, yeah, I'm scared. And yes, I'm scared more than anything that I will lose the little bit of sanity that I received in 40 years of program, uh, 30 of which I really didn't know what, I, what they were talking about and, until we started really working the big book the way we do. But... You know, the hope that all of you are giving me and the the fact that I, I more I, I'm willing to sleep there and that, that little cubicle in a on a uh, folding bed but take my materials with me because I will need them a lot more than I need their food. I certainly am not gonna eat there with them. I'll have to take care of my own food. Everything has in it soup powder and all this crap. I wanna hang on to my sanity the little bit that I have. Thank you all for being with me. I love you all. Wish everybody good recoveries and will continue to be continued. Thank you. I pass. Thank you so much, Raquel. Leah M., you are up. Hey, Aim. Thanks for your service. I love what we're reading this morning. This is a specific technique that my book teaches um, about how to reel somebody in. <laughs> you know, I, I look at it like throwing out the bait, you know, and slowly reeling someone in. My book says that we have recovered and been given the power to help others, and it begins with this identification. Uh, my book also says that, uh, you know, the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who's properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. So this is our specialty. You know, compulsive overeating is a very unique illness. Not everybody has this illness, and certainly not everybody has recovered. But those who have recovered have a certain responsibility. My responsibility in this conversation is the aim to produce a crisis relating the seriousness of my own experience. I'm slowly <laughs> turning the screws. I actually love this part. Because it says, if you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, so I'm pretty 
pretty darn clear that this person is a compulsive overeater. I, I know it, right? I know, I know it. I know the illness. <laughs> I can't diagnose someone, but I can hear it in someone's story. Begin to dwell on the hopeless feature. So I am dwelling on this. I'm not talking about the book. I'm not talking about the steps. I'm talking about me, that I didn't know what I was up against. I didn't know the depths to which this disease was going to drag me. Um, but when I ate certain foods, I could not control the amount of food I ate. And something happened to me when I put those foods into my body. I would develop this insatiable appetite for more. And once I started, I had little or no control. And for a long, 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 long time, I just didn't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> I ate as much as I wanted to eat. I wanted to overeat. It was fun. I wanted to binge, and I did. But the day came when I didn't want to be obese anymore, depressed and miserable, and have all those problems I was having, and hurt my family, and be sick and tired. And I said, I'm not going to binge my brains out today. I'm just going to overeat a little bit, and I couldn't do that either. And I said, I'm, not, and I'm never going to do it, and I couldn't do it either. And my disease cornered me. And I relate these facts about myself. It's about me. It's about me as I'm doing this, um, but coming from one compulsive overeater to another, perhaps we can crack those tough egos. Perhaps. You know, the, the rest is God's work. This is my responsibility. This is my responsibility. God gave me a task, a responsibility, a job to do, and, uh, you know, I'm grateful, right? We have recovered and been given the power to help others, and it starts with this identification and dwelling on the hopelessness, all the remedies I try all the methods I tried, you know, that I could not add to my own uh, power and my own intellect uh, break free from the sh shackles of this illness. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Okay, we have time for a few more shares. Who would like to share on what was read? Melissa P. Melissa P. Hello. Leah S. Leah F. I think there was someone before Leah, but I didn't get the name. Carol S. Carlo S. Carlo S. Okay. Devorah S. Devorah. All right, let's go with that. Melissa P. Leah S. Harlow, I think it is, and Devorah S. Melissa, go ahead. Good morning. This is Melissa P. from Buffalo, recovered today. You know, so the more I start to reach out to people, right, you know, I'm, I'm getting rid of clothes on Facebook that my 300-pound body no longer needs, right? And someone always shamefully messages me, and I welcome them with a warm heart, like, yeah, you can have it, you know? And the next question is always, well, what did you do? What are you doing? You, you look different right? There's a light in your eyes. Everybody wants to see and hear about the highlight reel, right? What did you do? What are you doing? And there's, there's a, a certain group of people that I'm starting to realize that the highlight reel, like after a football game, they don't care about the highlights. I need to go back and talk to them about the footage of my life that is not something that I would usually highlight. You know, let me tell you the stories about me eating all of my son's Halloween candy and having to lie and say I don't know where it is. Let me tell you about the times that my husband found, you know, bags of potato chips and fast food bags underneath my car when he dropped his cell phone. 
You know, let me tell you about the time that I had gastric bypass and gained everything back. You know, if you're sitting down with someone and you are showing them, putting your cards on the table of the lowest days, you know, those days that <laughs> I had so much shame and, and so much embarrassment, especially in my profession, that I was so broken. You know, and, and the book tells us that this weakness becomes our greatest asset. You know, I, I can save lives. I can connect people to this program, not because of anything I learned with my master's degree, but because of the shameful, horrible things that I did with the food, you know, and, and the robot hand, that I just, I couldn't control it. I wasn't lazy. I wasn't making a choice. I didn't, I was a prisoner in my own body, in my own head, and as the scale went up, you know, I thought that I would have to stay there forever, and it was other people going over, you know, horrible, awful things in their lives that, that brought me to grace, that brought me to the light, that brought me to this fellowship, you know, and so, you know, the highlight reel is great, but, you know, let me show you what, let me show you what the dark days were like, because I promise there's light there. So just keep telling your story, and when they're ready, they'll come. Thanks so much. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much, Melissa P. Leah S., you're up. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Excuse me. Leah S. recovered and very grateful in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Um, so so I came back. I came in to these rooms in 2013, and um, I heard a lot of things, a lot of things that I never related to or didn't want to relate and the truth of the matter is, it wasn't that I didn't want to relate or didn't hear what was being related. It was the fact that I was stuffed with food. I was still stuffed with food. The emotional insecurity that I had, the anger, the worry, oh my God, the worry, and then the food again, that's gonna that's gonna soothe me and i kept on eating and then when the soothing stopped and it didn't soothe me anymore and i had the worry again and i had the anger again i needed to replenish that and so the food did that again and again and again and when i came in and i became sober and i became abstinent i was led step by step, what this bloating could mean, that it there will be no bloating, what this cramps would mean, that there would be no cramps, what it would mean to come into a situation that is chaotic and it can be neutral. What this could mean, there was so much hope in here, in these rooms, and it didn't come at once. It came step by step by me wanting to do that more and more because I heard it. I heard it in your voices. I saw it in your faces when I met you, and I wanted it. So I learned, and I keep on learning. And um, thank you very much. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Leah S. Now, I think it was Harlow, Harlow S. Hopefully, I didn't butcher your name too badly. Please go ahead. Carol O. 
Carol O. Yes, please go ahead. Carol O. Hi, Carol O. from Ireland. Um, oh, yeah, hi, Carol. I was, I'm sorry. I didn't get it right hi. the first time. No problem. Um, yeah, the hopeless feature of the malady. Unless I was hopeless and helpless, I wasn't ready to recover. I was beyond human aid. My hand behaved like it was possessed demonically, uh, putting food in my mouth and my mind screamed no. Um, yeah, my defense had to come from the higher power. So no doctor, psychiatrist, nutritionist, counselor or outside professional could make me stop and stay stopped because they um, they couldn't address what was wrong with me. It was my spiritual malady and my mental twist. And they couldn't get that. They couldn't understand that. Um, yeah, um, it's it's the fellowship. It's the fellow. It's it's connecting through God. It's connecting to my higher power. Working the steps, um, and working with others. And I need all of the fellowship. I need God. I need everybody's help because I can't do this alone. And I'll also just finish on this. I can't keep it if I don't give it away. I have a responsibility from my experience to give this to another person as it was given to me, that gift. I'll leave it back. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Carl. Okay, Devorah S., you are up, please. Go ahead, Thank Devorah. you so much. Yeah, hi here. Can you hear me okay? I'm here. I, I can. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Devorah S., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey, and thank you all. Makes this meeting possible. Um, okay, so here we are, learning how to be a sponsor, working with others. And, um, you know, the only thing I could do, the only how I can help another person is just sharing my experience, strength, and hope. You know, that's what worked for me. When the first time I walked into a meeting and I heard people talk about how they ate, and how they couldn't stop eating and the different ways that they ate, I said to myself, I'm in the right place. Because wherever other place I went to, nobody talked about that. It wasn't, you know, nobody dealt, no one talked, shared their experience like that. They just said, hey, if you do this, you do this, you know, you'll be okay. But nobody, nobody shared from the language of the heart, as I said, you know, nobody. And that's what attracted me here because people were sharing their experience and what they did. And that's the only thing that I can do with Within the person that I work with, share what worked, for me, what, what, what I went through, and how I and how I got to this point. And I think also working with others, like it's fascinating for me to see, like here we are at step twelve. We already had the spiritual awakening, and now it's our time to give it away. But we always have to go back. We have to go back to that point. We have to remember where we came from because it's so easy to forget. So they're writing, they're writing to us in black and white, and they're telling us, you know, remember where you came from. You know, share your experience because, you know, as an addict, I forget. It's so easy for me to forget. It's so easy for me to forget. And now it's back to basics here. Remember where you came from. Share what you have, and that's how you can help another person. And um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Devorah S. We have time for one more share. Who would like to go ahead? Julie E.B. Julie E.B., please go ahead. Yeah, hi, this is Julie E.B., gratefully recovered in Colorado Springs. Um, you know, I was just struck by how many different voices, how many different sounds, 
uh, uh, sharing on this text and uh, the power of the book, uh, as it says, is, is one uh, alcoholic working with another, one compulsive eater working with another. And as I think about the hopeless nature of this malady, I think about you know just the places in our world where uh, people share with big megaphones, uh, whether it's over our television or public media, um, all sorts of things. Um, and yet here, this is very intimate. And what I, I think is so powerful about this is that, um, uh, and hopefully this makes sense, but it's so powerful about this is I didn't know how to share really personally, truly, what was my real life before I met, as the big book says, a God, a higher power, personal to me. Um, my God gets bigger every day, but it also, my God also gets more personal, uh, down into the nooks and crannies of my life, of my brokenness, of my need to repair relationships with others. And uh, I think there's some beautiful, uh, beautiful poetry here to the fact that we're just going to be with this one person learning how to be a person, how to share our deepest hopelessness um, in, the, in the attempt to, to let them see uh, that there is a way out. And uh, so the work here, it's great to share on the line, here on the line. Uh, I love to just surround myself and buff myself up with, with the experience, strength, and hope here. Uh, but the real work is is one to one, um, and uh, and uh, I just think that's just uh, so amazing that now today, um, after putting down the food several years ago, I can have deeply connected relationships with other people. And I learned first uh, by reaching out and sharing my story. Thanks for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Julie E. B. Yeah. We actually have about a minute and a half. Would someone like to close us out? Deborah M. Okay, Deborah, we've got a minute and 20. Please go ahead. I just wanted to thank you all for being there this morning. I had been um, listening to meetings and reaching out and and abstaining and so hopeful, full of laughter, and then Last night, I uh, binge ate, and I just, my mind is saying, why are you doing this? But my self is doing it anyway. And I woke up this morning feeling like crap and feeling so hopeless and so, like, why do I do that? Why did I do that? But when I came, when I listened this morning to everything that all of you said, I thought, you know what? I had to do that. I had to do that one more time so that when I heard this this morning, I could say, yes, that's me. And I just want to thank you all for being there. Thank you so much, Deborah. Keep coming back, and thank you for sharing. And at this note, we are going to wrap up the meeting. I'd like to thank everyone who shared, especially all of our uh, readers and speakers. Please join us for another awesome second unrecorded hour of study immediately following. The share ID for today's meeting, Tuesday, February 25th, 2020, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 14,170. That's 14170. We will now close with a reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. 
Will Renee A. please go ahead. Good morning. This is Renee A. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.